With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. America's fastest-growing TV brand, TCL, brings you Mackie and Judd. They're just they're big people up there, um, and we're going to have to we're going to have to win some one-on-one battles. Uh, again, across the board, they're just big, space-eating, two-gap, uh, attack-you type defense, and and that's a challenge for the offensive line. And um, you know, last week is last week, so that the scheme was a little bit different. Um, so we're, we're ready for the challenge this week and look at those guys and, and uh, the guys across from them. The nice part is going back to we played them one time, so we kind of get a feel for how they play, a little bit of a feel for how we play. That was one of the most football-y, I love football sound bites ever. Stefanski's got the face-eating big Kevin Stefanski's got the football speak down to us. Yes. Exact science. Yes. Football! Football, yeah! Football! This is more Kevin Stefanski. Kevin Stefanski's got it. If I'm Kevin Stefanski, I'm feeling myself right now after last week. You, know, you kind of you, you spray some banaca. It's like when you show up to the junior high dance, which Judd may not have gone to junior high dance. I didn't go to dances. Okay. High school, you didn't go to uh, no home problem. Zero. Oh, for Benel. Never went like to a we dance. We talked about this on the show. Yeah, we did. I got turned down once. That was it. So if you had gone to a dance and little banaka on the side of your mouth, you're feeling yourself 41 17 over the Dolphins. Like Don't look at me like that, you two. I've told Phil the story on the air before. We didn't We're hear trying it. to put a plan together where you're unpredictable. So certainly, if you're staying in one personnel grouping at times and you're running it and you're throwing it, I think that can be make yourself unpredictable to the defense. Um, on the other hand, you like to. Mix in personnel so that they have different people running on the field and they got to de- defend against different people. So I think you try to find that balance of staying in one personnel grouping, and there are some teams that stay exclusively in one personnel grouping, and, and, and there's some thought to that too. But then making yourself difficult to defend and throw out multiple tight ends, then throw multiple wide receivers out. Yeah. yeah. That's it. That's the key to life right there. That's key to football. Multiple tight ends. Multiple tight ends. That's football. (laughs) Football. That's that's getting in the trenches right there, Phil Mackey. Uh, Maybe I'm misguided as a 30-year follower of the Minnesota Vikings, but I I just don't feel at all like they're going to lose this game. I don't either. I I have zero concern that they're going to lose this game, which gives me concern that they're going to lose this game because you should never feel that way about the Minnesota Vikings. It gives me concern because that's exactly what I was thinking going into the Buffalo yeah, game. Yeah, but the <laughs> Buffalo game the Buffalo game was an instructive lesson to them from which I think they learned, but here's my here's my problem. I don't feel like anybody below them is going to come get them. Mm-hmm. Like the Philadelphia, the Rams are struggling right now. I mean, that's a nice win, 
on Sunday for Philly. But I don't look at that and say Philadelphia has turned this thing around. But they don't have to have so, turned this thing around. But I'm there's just, only two games left. I understand that. But what but what I'm saying is I don't feel like the teams below the Vikings are going to come get them, and I don't feel like the Vikings are going to. There's nothing that gives me a lot of concern. Well, let me Do break I it think, down this way, though. Yeah. So, so you said you don't feel like anyone from behind the Vikings is it? Well, if the Vikings win both games, then mathematically, that doesn't right. matter. But if the Vikings were to win this game, lose to uh, and then lose to the Bears. Mm-hmm. I'll ask it this way. Do you think the Eagles can beat the Texans at home this weekend? Texans are continuing to play good football. Yeah, they can, but I don't think they will. Um, I mean, it's like a coin flip game. I don't think they will. So they can win the coin flip. But then, can they beat Washington the week after? And the answer is yes. So I I think you can be right, but also wrong, in that the Eagles can be very shaky and not a team that's going to contend for a Super Bowl and still win a couple games, get to 9-7, and and if you don't take care of business... Whether the Eagles are broken or not, they've passed you. And the Eagles are playing better, and this Nick Foles thing, we'll see. But the other thing, too, is the Eagles are very motivated because they can still win their division. They're only a game behind the Cowboys. Now, the Cowboys swept them, so Dallas would have the tie break. But if the Eagles went out and then Dallas loses out, the Eagles would win the NFC East. And Dallas, in their last two games, they have Tampa uh, and then at the Giants. So Dallas is definitely a favorite to to probably win both those games. But yeah, I mean, Dallas... Dallas could also lay an egg. They scored zero points against the Colts. Mm-hmm. The Eagles still have enough dysfunction that, that I think that bites them in the butt. And the other thing about the Vikings game that doesn't scare me is Buffalo came in here early in the season thinking to itself, we're going to play well. Detroit is thinking to itself, we got tea times, baby. We got tea <laughs> times to get to, and we got a coach who's a jackass who we don't like. That's a big difference. Buffalo came in with a young QB early on, and the Vikings were all out of sorts that day. And the Vikings lost. If Detroit was playing well and Detroit, I thought they cared deeply, I'd say this is a concern. I think Detroit is looking at getting to the golf course ASAP. And if their coach gets fired, all the better. Poll question for Maggie and Judd. Who thinks Matt Patricia is more of a jackass? The Lions players or Judd Zolgat? Well, that's not <laughs> it's even, Judd Zolgat. That's not even close. I think he's a complete jackass. I think he's, Do we know for a fact that the players hate Matt Patricia? Or are we just projecting based on how big of a goon he looks like at the podium? Because I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the guys in that locker room were like, yeah, finally a dude who actually is passionate and cares and wants to fix something that's been broken for 50 I years largely. Jack, I think they think he's a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go on the record as being very confident. I mean, he told a reporter to sit sit up straight. The other thing with That's guys like, like a, that... an amazing lack of self-awareness. And the other yeah. thing with guys like that is... And Childress had the same problem. The problem with people like that is they don't ha- have the ability to, to change a lot. Like, Belichick does for sure. Belichick... But Belichick just basically tells the media nothing. But I think he treats the players, I'm not saying he treats them great, but I think that there's a very, I think if, if you go to a Patriots player and say, describe Bill, the description is very different from what the guy who, who yeah. writes for, for the Boston Globe would say. Patricia strikes me as, a, as the type of guy who tells everybody, you know, have some respect, sit up straight. While he's dressing like a complete buffoon, which is fine, I dress like that. I like to and dress Bill like Belichick that. And Bill dresses like that, but he doesn't tell right. the guy in the front but row. But I'm never going right. to tell you, well, I don't think that you're dressed appropriately and Get I'm wearing straight. a, a Sitco hoodie and jeans that I've washed like a week ago. How many times have you worn those every day? Or the jeans? Yeah, yeah. We've talked about this before. You don't need to wash jeans. Over completely overrated. You need to wash them. Well, you need to wash At them. some point, you got to wash them. Yeah, once in a while. Once in a while, when when they start to get saggy, I wash them to tighten them up. But you don't wash them because maybe like you're 
skin cells have been dropping on the inside of your jeans. For <laughs> they're my skin. Hours. They're my skin you know, cells. I had a friend inside in college. Of my jeans, not yours. Yeah, it's mine. It's my well, skin but cells. Be careful. I had a friend in college who got scabies one time because oh, he no, never what? washed his jeans. Well, Ooh. that also sounds like he didn't take a shower. But I was going to say, <laughs> how long didn't he wash his jeans? I mean, I do wash sounds them. Sounds like something a pirate gets. Scabies. Scabies. <laughs> yeah. So scabies. You're thinking of scurvy. That's what you're thinking. That's, that's what the pirates. Oh, no, scabies is a, is a skin condition caused by a burrowing mite. Yeah. So it so sounds like your friend mites. went probably months without trying to wash his or attempting to wash his sheets. But how? Or so his sheets. So Matt Patricia looks like a guy who has scabies running up and down yeah, his, his like, beard, wet chest hair. <laughs> In his but, beard. So here's my question about Bill Belichick. Yeah. You would think that to be that successful as a head coach for 20 years, to be the greatest head coach of all time. That's not just you. There's 53 guys on a roster, and you've got this coach. How many coaches on an NFL coaching staff? Like 15, 10 or 15? Yeah, these right? days, yeah. yeah. So you've got all these people that are flanking you. It's not just you grinding all the film and you teaching all the positions. You don't have individual touch points with everybody. How can you be that legendary as a head coach yeah. and produce literally zero protégés? They're, they're all, all the guys that he produces as head coaches, whether it's Matt Patricia, Teromeo Cornell. I can tell you. But hold on, let me, like, let me, let me exactly. yeah. it's be, it, these guys are all pretending to be someone. They're not actually secure and confident in their own skin. You always watch these guys and it's like, boy, you're acting like a head coach. You're not actually a head coach. Mm-hmm. But how can you have that many frauds in your stable and still be that great? But they're not, really, Bill Parcells but, had Bill Belichick in his stable. But they're not frauds. Yeah. What they are is Belichick is a genius and he's great at, at this. At finding people who fit perfectly and are great when empowered in their lanes. Being a head coach is really, really, I think, a pain. I think Zim, Zim's good, but I think he's the type of guy who, if you went to him and said, you know what, I'll give you five mil. Defensive coordinator for life. You're just really good there. No media responsibilities. You know, once a week you talk to a couple beat guys, but... No responsibilities with that. You don't have to ever deal with a kicker again or a special teams coordinator or a quarterback. You you just do defense, and it's going to be five mil. I think Zim would say that's great. I But I think Belichick does a fantastic job of finding people who brilliantly fit in their lanes. But when they get out of that lane, they're in trouble. The only two guys that I can think of that coached under Belichick that have had success as head coaches – one is Nick Saban. Right. But, but that's untested, at the college and, level. Yep, exactly. And his one stint in the pros didn't go well, and he ended up leaving and going back to college. And the other one is Bill O'Brien overall has done okay. They had a bad year last year, but they're bad yeah, and good bad. this year. I mean, Bill yeah. O'Brien's done okay. But, yeah, outside of that, like, they've all been just failed miserably. Yeah. But, like, if, if we have to dig to Bill O'Brien... And Bill O'Brien hasn't really or, or done Nick that Saban, much, right? That's He's done ago. okay with the Texans, yeah. and they're good this year. But yeah, but that's yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to pull up like just other random coaching trees. Tom Landry. So so Bill Bill Parcells yep. produced Sean Payton, Bill Belichick, Mike Zimmer, uh, Anthony Lynn. Look at Bill Walsh. Anthony tree. Lynn might be one of the best coaches yeah. in the NFL now, right? Mm-hmm. Bill, Bill Walsh's Walsh. tree is off the charts. So I get what you're saying, but I just find it miraculous that. Okay, if there's all these other examples of great, the Bill Walsh tree, the the Bill Parcells tree, there's all these other examples. Yep. And in order for them to be that great, they have to identify assistants who also have it in them to become great co- head coaches at some point. And Bill Belichick has basically none of that. Right. That Bill O'Brien is the shining example of 
an NFL head coach protege. It's fascinating. I think Bill Walsh was was an incredibly smart guy who had a desire to hire incredibly smart people who he could help develop. I think Bill Parcells was an incredibly confident guy who basically had had the ability, and I don't even know if he cared about developing people, but I think he didn't have a fear about hiring someone who was as good as him in certain jobs, and so he he had a coaching tree that has gone on to great success. How about this? The Tom Landry coaching tree. Yep. Mike Ditka, yep. Dan Reeves, Gene Stallings. I think, Belich- mm. I think Belichick, though, looks for people who fit in their lanes perfectly. And that's his only desire. And I think ultimately, if you stripped all the BS away and sat Bill Belichick down with a with a jug of truth serum and said, Bill, give me your thoughts on this. He would say, I don't care about the success of these guys independent of me one bit. I care about them fitting into the lane. I need them in. And that's yeah. all I care about. And I don't think that if you were to ask Bill Walsh or Bill, if you were to ask Bill Parcells, Deep down in your heart, do you really give a rat's ass if Bill Belichick becomes a Super Bowl winning head coach? He'd say, no, I just need him to be a great defensive coordinator. But he had it in him to be a great head coach, and mm. here we are. So, uh, Tom Pelissero, we'll have him on early. when we come back here. Yeah, a little early early Tom Pelissero on this Thursday. And uh, Matthew Collar is uh, roaming around already. He had a job shadow today come in and just like follow him around Vikings practice. Yeah, that kid's ruined. Watching old football film on YouTube, I'm yeah, sure. that kid's got no chance now. Yeah. Probably the worst decision that kid's ever made. But uh, Matthew will be in here in studio in the 5 o'clock hour. And does Judd know what's going to happen later this hour? Have you told him? I kind of hinted around at it with him earlier this week, but I didn't really tell him what day we were going to do it. Okay. So he, but he doesn't know the specifics, though, no. for sure, right? No. So there's going to be a Judd positivity challenge later on this hour. We feel like feel like Judd uh, has been a little dark rain cloud in one area I, specifically, and we're going to have no, him come a little on. positivity challenge. This is about the wild, I hate you guys. Luther Brookdale Toyota is on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. And what do we got? Five days until Christmas, holiday season. We're right in the thick of it. You still have time to make a big splash. Maybe get one of those brand new RAV4s, one of those brand new uh, Tundras. You know, I, we've, we've been experiencing some unseasonably warm weather here, but eventually there's going to be snow back on the ground. You want that peace of mind, a big vehicle, a big durable Toyota, a Highlander, a Tundra, uh, something with four-wheel drive, and also a service department that has your back like they've had my family's back for 30-plus years. Uh, Luther Brookdale Toyota is the best combination of great people, great service, great durable vehicles, great pricing, uh, you name it. And some of the upgrades and bells and whistles on these new 2018-19 models, you got to check them out. 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. And again, the website, it's very easy. It's LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oh, that's just what they'll be expecting us to do. On 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Come on, there's so much to do. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check traffic. couple crashes to tell you about. 394 westbound, we got a crash in Golden Valley. Uh, it's between uh, 169 and Louisiana Avenue. It's causing about a three-minute delay. And also, uh, let's head to the other side of the metro, uh, 35W northbound near Moundsview. we got a crash uh, near Highway 10, and that's causing about a four-minute delay. So be on the watch for those, folks. Yeah, they're just they're big people up there, um, and we're going to have to... We're going to have to win some one-on-one battles. Uh, again, across the board, they're just big, space-eating, two-gap, uh, attack-you-type defense. And, and that's a, a challenge for the offensive line. And um, 
you know, last week is last week, so that the scheme was a little bit different. Um, so we're, we're ready for the challenge this week and look at those guys and, and uh, the guys across from them. The nice part is going back to we played them one time, so we kind of get a feel for how they play, a little bit of a feel for how we play. Tom Pelissero joins us now, Mackie and Judd from the uh, TCL Broadcast Studios, and that, of course, was Kevin Stefanski, the Vikings' new offensive coordinator, and the Vikings uh, drubbed the Dolphins on Sunday. So, Tom, your thoughts. Are the Vikings' offensive woes now uh, entirely fixed with the change from uh, Filippo to Stefanski with three games left? I'm going ahead and say entirely fixed is a strong statement to make about anything uh, in the NFL. Certainly the Vikings looked better in the early going of that game last Sunday. Three possessions, three touchdowns. It's tough to do better than that. You also... Yeah, you look at the Dolphins' defense they were playing. They were really shorthanded on the back end. They saw a ton of zone. They had guys running wide open through the zones, which is you know effective when you can run the football like the Vikings did and run play action off it. That's kind of how they really envisioned that offense working going back to training camp. But then Dalvin Cook got hurt in week two. The offensive line was not playing particularly well. They went to a you know a different type of a, a short passing game. We'll see how they can do it uh, this week against the Lions and. You know, Snacks Harrison, his status will be interesting to watch. I know he did not practice yesterday. That guy's been really good on a Lions run defense. It's been a lot better over the past six weeks or so. I think we're going to have to start calling Jonathan Snacks Harrison. I love that name. Corndog Snacks Harrison. That's one of the, Tom, that is one of the best names in the NFL, right? I don't know if I can think of two or three other that are better than Snacks Harrison. I can't remember if he's on board with that uh, that nickname these days. You know, sometimes, like with Doug Martin out through the muscle hamster, I want to say Damon Harrison may have on throw the snacks, too, but I, I agree. I think it's pretty solid. Yeah. Um, I want to I, I pose this question to you because it's top of mind from our last segment. Why do, Why is it when you go down great coaching trees, you know, or great coaches, the Bill Parcells and the Bill Walshes, they all produce – other great top coaches. So Bill Parcells has, you know, Bill Belichick and Tom Coughlin and Mike Zimmer and uh, Sean Payton's on that list. How is it possible that Bill Belichick in 20 years has basically produced, and this is top of mind because Matt Patricia and the Vikings this weekend, like Bill O'Brien is pretty much, in terms of NFL successes, the crown jewel there. I know Nick Saban is on that list, but how is that possible? Well, you know, and even Bill O'Brien, if you talk to people in the league, they'll say that his background is a little more diverse. Yeah, he spent a few years uh, in New England with the Patriots, but he has other influences as well. Uh, you know, it's difficult to say. I think that, you know, you have to look at everyone kind of case by case. I do think that one of um, common threads is the idea of bringing the Patriot way to someplace else. I mean, the Belichick's coaching style, how he is, frankly, on players' meetings from Tom Brady on down. Um, you know, the way that they work, it's just it's a little bit different. You also don't get to take Bill Belichick and Tom Brady with you, uh, which are pretty two pretty important pieces of the success that, uh, that they've had. You know, I think that, well, let's wait a couple of years before we judge Matt Patricia. Again, his run defense has been a lot better. That's what you see with Patriots' style defenses is. Their first thing is going to be setting the edge. Um, you know, that's what they want to do. They don't want to allow, to allow you to run the football on them. You can say that about any defense in the NFL, but that is really, really a focus for them. You know, and then offensively, I think that's one of the kind of the head scratching things is with, you know, Matthew Stafford, why he has not uh, performed at a little bit higher level. Again, you're playing to the defense. You know, you're going to play a little bit ugly football at sometimes, but the Patriots also put a lot of points on the scoreboard. You know, it's, it's, I think that in part it can be just the the coaching style and the way that they work 
and the fact that that can wear on players when they don't see the instant success. It can wear on the media because suddenly you might have had a coach who would tell you everything, and now you've got a coach who wants to tell you nothing that might impact competitive advantage. You're not going to necessarily get the media on your side. I mean, if we went back to time, how many of you have got five years or more to actually build the program? I think that might be something fascinating to look at because a lot of times you can just kind of within your locker room and publicly wear on people if you're you're not winning quickly with that type of a style. Is Josh Gordon uh, done, or is, is this going to be another suspension, Tommy, f- followed by a comeback either with the Patriots or somewhere else? It's too soon to say, Judd. Um, you know, and we were obviously tracking that story this morning. Um, you know, Josh Gordon, it is our research people sent out the timeline, and it really is once or twice a year if there's something with Josh Gordon, and we've seen it different times. I mean, he, he announced uh, at the start of training camp, you know, this almost an identical statement about I'm going to take some time away to uh, address my mental health. At that time, he was not facing a suspension. He was able to come back. The Browns supported him. They had further in late August. They ended up trading him away to the Patriots. Everyone's talking about what a bargain was. And, um, he ran into further trouble. I mean, I think that we all know people who have uh, dealt with addiction, and, and that is a, a difficult thing. Josh Gordon has documented publicly and in the media um, how far go with the amount of used substances even just to get himself through football games. I mean, there's just there's a lot of different things that you have to unpack uh, when it comes to Josh Gordon. So he, he needs to figure out a way to get himself right, whether football is a part of his life or not. It's obvious that there's just certain demons that he's not yet been able to conquer. Yeah. Tom Pelissero, NFL Network, is with us here, also one of the uh, founding fathers of 1500ESPN.com. Uh, right now, what does is, what is your gut say about how many teams have a legitimate chance to win the Super Bowl? It feels very, very wide open with the Patriots not being dominant and with Jared Goff struggling the last couple weeks. Well, even the Saints offense has not been quite as explosive or high-powered as we've seen them in the past. I think that's kind of the, you know, when you have the crazy offensive numbers we saw early in the season, there's definitely going to be some kind of a regression to the mean here. I mean, not everybody's going to be putting up 50-plus points. And you go back to that game between the Chiefs and the Rams, and it felt like we were seeing the new NFL. And since then, uh, we've kind of come back to what you normally see in December football games. People are a little beat up. Uh, defense is going to win the day. Um, I just think that it's it's wide open. I think that it always was. I think that you know, as much as anything, you just have to monitor now in these next few weeks who is staying healthy. You know, you've had a a scare obviously with guys like Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon. You know, some pretty key cogs on these teams. The teams that are healthy generally the ones that are the most competitive at the end of the season and you know to answer your question how many teams can win the Super Bowl I mean you can go down the list and the NFC between the Saints and the Rams I think the Seahawks you know their formula are dangerous in the playoffs I think the Vikings uh, if they can make it into the playoffs that'd be dangerous formula because you know the offense has shown flashes of being explosive and you know that they're always going to play good defense you would have said the Cowboys are a team that was speaking until last week and they got shut off by the Colts the Colts you know, with that, with that quarterback and the defense playing so hard for Matt Eberflus, I mean, you can't even lead a team like that. And I'm not sure they get into the postseason. So, I mean, you, you can keep on going down the list. There's probably half the league right now feels like they've got a, an opportunity to win it all, and that's exactly how the NFL is set up to have that level of parity and to make everybody believe they have hope, even with just two weeks left in the season. Are the Rams slumping, or are the Rams coming unglued at a bad time? Uh, Ian, they've got so much star power that I, I don't put too much stock into you know whether or not they're going into a slump. I do think that if you're looking for something that's a commonality between the past two weeks, it's really good and physical defensive fronts. You look at the Bears, 
with not just Khalil Mack, but Keem Hicks. You look at the Eagles with guys like Fletcher Cox and Michael Bennett. Uh, those guys have been disruptive. I think that that's kind of been uh, what we've seen happen to the Rams, disrupting the running game. They have certainly disrupted the quarterback over the past couple of weeks. Uh, but when you've got a team that has Aaron Donald and Dominick Sue and some of the other playmakers on that defense, on top of uh, Gurley and, and Woods and Goff, who we've seen him play well over the course of the season. I mean, there's, there's no reason to think, especially with that coach, that they can't get back on track. But they're going to have to have an answer for some of those more physical fronts of the postseason, particularly if uh, they end up not being the number one seed and they may have to go on the road. Uh, I'm, I'm uttering these words for the first time in 20 years, maybe, well, the first time in 25 years, really. But uh, how interesting of a job could that rant, could that uh, Cleveland Browns head coach opening be? Uh, it could be very interesting. And you know, right now they're a team that's won four out of five games. The quarterback, Baker Mayfield, is playing awfully well under uh, Freddie Kitchens, who was one uh, the executive was joking to me yesterday, is his third offensive coordinator because no one's entirely sure if it was Hugh Jackson or Todd Haley's fault that it didn't work out for him early in the season. Um, you have to look at that and say, do you risk bringing in, you know, do you replace Freddie Kitchens? Uh, do you replace Greg Williams? It's hard to imagine Greg Williams uh, being the head coach of the Browns for the long haul, but if they win their next two, they win six out of seven. It's, it's kind of a tough deal to say we're just going to we're gonna move on. At that point, uh, it absolutely is an interesting job. They've got other talent, you know, not a complete team yet, but when you draft that high for that long, you hope you've got some pretty good players. Through Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward, Bradley Chubb's played really well this season. They've definitely got some, some pieces to build around, and, you know, with that front office, a bunch of the guys who are in Green Bay, John Dorsey, and Elliot Wolf, and Alonzo Highsmith, they've, they've got a great level of football expertise, you know, deep scouting knowledge there, too. Um, and they've got a lot of cap space to work with. I mean, you got a ton of resources, you got a ton of picks, um, you got a lot of things going for you moving forward. Yeah. What would you do if Coach Ogeron came screaming at you on a practice field? And I didn't see if there's a story. I have not seen it. Uh, uh, my, you gotta check it out. <laughs> my approach back in the day when any coach would come screaming at me was usually just to kind of sulk and then uh, say stuff behind his back. I usually felt the passive aggressive way of approaching those conversations was for the best. Yeah, this is this was this is a quick clip of it. John Embry, another another great young man from Destrehan, Louisiana. Hold on a second. Hey guys, hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Ma, meatloaf. The same as the Vikings back in, in the day, right, Tommy? I mean, they, they'd have, have those press conferences and guys would be doing drills. Childress could have easily gone out and said, hey, guys, I'm having a press oh, yeah, conference. Uh, he, Childress would have been more like, uh, uh, guys, uh, press conference <laughs> happening. I talked to Brad last week, uh, you know, because he's the guy who hired uh, Kevin Stefanski back in the day as his assistant. And uh, Brad, Brad is not, he's definitely made, sounded pretty mellow talking to him since he sat down there in a meeting room in Atlanta where uh, he's going to be leading that AAF team yes. coming up here in uh, a couple of months. They've got like their, um, you know, like their big training session is, is coming up here. Everybody gets together in like San Antonio in late December and they, they sort that thing out. That league will be interesting. Yeah. Uh, where are you at the next few days, Tom? I'll be with the Vikings uh, tomorrow and then on the plane to Detroit. So I will be uh, there oh. with the Vikings trying to Stay on track and build the momentum as they move forward. Coverage starting at uh, probably 6-something a.m. Central on uh, that one. So you can find Tom uh, walking walking casually through locker rooms, talking with his hands on NFL Network very impressively. Bye, Tom. See ya. ya. Tom Pelissero from the Network. That's way too early on a Sunday morning to be getting up.
Well, he does the super early morning walkthrough where they walk from one side of the room to the other one. I've never seen it. And he's like talking with his hands. I will never awake early enough to actually see see that on TV. I've told him, dude, you should put sock puppets on your hands and and, and as you're walking, have the sock puppets do the conversation kind of back and forth. (laughs) With helmets on. With helmets painted on. Sock puppet helmets. I love that. Yep. The Judd Positivity Challenge when we come back to the TCL Broadcast Studios. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley dokley. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Please, continue. On 1500 ESPN. It's time for Judd's Positivity Challenge. Judd Zolgad has to say five positive things about the Minnesota Wild. Oh, I just swore under my breath. I don't know that you can say anything positive when you have this on playing. <laughs> Good luck, buddy. Makes it even more of a challenge, doesn't it, Judd? Right. Uh, this is a, a fairly new segment. We've made Judd be positive before, but this is the first time the last couple weeks it's been an official segment on the show. When uh, you get a little bit too dark rain cloud around here sometimes, and so trying to a little forced positivity, a little forced optimism never hurt anybody. So uh, the number is five, right? Is five, it, yeah, it's three. Correct. It's five. It's five. Yep. So last time it was twins, which mm-hmm. was kind of a warm up, which yep. leads to this because you've been calling for the Wild to tank and trade everybody, and yeah, it's over. Yep. Yeah, he did it today with Lou. <laughs> yeah, Lou and I talked about it extensively on the podcast. And you can find the Lou Nanny podcast with Judd Zolget on the Mackie and Judd feed anywhere you would find Mackie and Judd. Um, all right, so what's the goal again? Five things? You have to say five positive things, and you're you're in a room of uh, jury members here, too, mm-hmm. in which we get to determine if it's sort of a backhanded compliment, if it's not sincere, yep. you get okay. the buzzer. All right, okay, all right. Let's see. And nope. mind you, we have to get to the football hour in 25 minutes. So, I, you know There's what? your time limit. You know what? Timetable's yours, not mine. <laughs> um, Bruce Boudreaux is a very good coach. Okay. Sincere. Yeah. I do believe he's a very Who's good coach. Who's going to get fired? Uh, but he's still a good right? coach, but I don't think he deserves it. Do you think it. he gets fired? I actually predicted with Chip today, and I, I don't think that he will, but I predict I predicted with Chip today that I actually think there's a better in-season chance of Bruce being fired than Tibbs. In-season. Like, I don't think Tibbs gets fired now. If Tibbs didn't get fired during the Butler thing... Yeah, I agree with that. The more I think yeah. about this, I think Tibbs does get blown out in April, but I think that there's a, a better chance that Paul Fenton would decide to make an in-season change, which I don't think he'll do, than uh, Glenn Taylor does. I agree with that, but... They almost blew a 30-point lead to the Kings the other night. Now, they did throttle down and win by 30, but they let they let 20 slip away in the third quarter. And last night, I know that I know it was... We can talk about this maybe before the hour's over. You guys get into no, it. No, you're, you're buying me time. Like, keep talking. And- <laughs> no, I like this. He's still I can, like, like, four other nice things to going. say. Like, I don't you, can't, you can't lose to the damn Pistons when you're up double digits in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. like that. And I get that Andre Drummond hit a step-back three from the corner sure. right next to the Wolves bench, and it's just not your night when that happens. But Tom Thibodeau, yeah. come on now. Yeah, Tib, Tibbs, had, there was a moment in overtime. I'm hijacking Judd's segment here, but... <laughs> no, no, no. I'm the happiest guy in the face of the earth. There was a moment in overtime, and Jim Pete called Tibbs out on the broadcast, where yes. where Drummond hits the three in the corner, <laughs> yes. and I, I couldn't tell if Tibbs was mad that Towns didn't come out at him. You want Drummond to shoot that shot. He's mm-hmm. three for 21 from three-point range, and Towns didn't close fast enough, and Tibbs got pissed and, like... Punches the air and yeah. drops F-bombs. his coat's flying. Yes, <laughs> the and, back of his coat was just flying up in the air. And Jim Pete said, 
Oh, you got to if you're a player, you got to ignore that yeah. because it gets negative energy that can rub off on on the team. And I think whatever. I think Jim Pete's first words were Tibbs has to calm down. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, all right, back to the oh, Judd yeah, positivity challenge here. Minnesota that's right. Wild. That's right. Uh, number two. More. Number two. Eric Stahl is a very good center who can bring plenty in a trade. <laughs> no, yeah. that's 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 feeding your agenda and of I can't, negativity. And I can't <laughs> praise the rink either, right? Did, no, you can't determine that with the twins. I can't be anything structural. It can't be the Darn arena. It can't be the can't uniforms. Be the press box. It has to be the people. Can't or be the, the PR team. department. Yeah. Um, so no, I if can't you stop praise. with Eric Stahl is a really good, valuable player. That's that yeah. would work, but you added in that last <laughs> little bit. You that's added in a trade. That's so me. You added that last little bit there, Zimmer. I really I can't help myself. I'm just like Zim. I'm just like Zim. Oh, hold on a second. Okay, I got to come up with. You can't stay silent for more than ten seconds because then our alarms go off. I got to come up with something else here, don't I? Um, oh, Zach Parisi has rebounded from back surgery and been very good. Yeah. Okay. And he has been too. Not bad. Matthew Dumba has turned himself into one of the best offensive defensemen in the NHL. Now he's on a roll. How many goals does Dumba have? Comma, his defense still leaves something to be desired. But I didn't say that! Didn't say it! I think oh. that wipes out that wipes no. out number three. No, 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 I didn't say it. Now, because now we know how you really feel about Dumba. Now you're back to two. You're back to two. Dumba's on pace for like thirty oh. goals this year, isn't he? Something like that. He's got. Like- yeah, he leads. He leads uh, um, defensemen in the league with twelve goals and six power play goals. Alex Stalock is an outstanding backup goaltender. Plays the puck exceptionally well, and should play more. I'll give that to Doug because he, he said that before. He even I know had the, the other part that, that he wants to say, but. Didn't say it, though. <laughs> <laughs> and clearly, what am I at now? Well, at, it, that was three. We'll give him four. He's at four. He's at four. We'll give him four. We'll give him the, the number you one. Got, you got one more here. Yep. Paul Fenton is going to realize that this team needs to be blown sky high and make all the right moves. <laughs> <laughs> No Craig Leopold is going to listen to Paul Fenton and blow this team sky high. Dumb button there for that one. Uh, no, that that violates the spirit of the Judd positivity challenge. Miko Koivu will be entering the last year of his contract next year, and then certainly will be gone. None of this is working. You can do one more, Judd. Come on, oh, I know oh, you got it in you. You've got twenty minutes. Oh. Yeah, you do have twenty minutes left. Well, we do have to squeeze in a break at some Mikhail, point. So Kyle Granlund or Gronlund has turned himself into an outstanding playmaker off the wing. I love how hard this is. When he wants to be. <laughs> That's bad. Ah! That is so backhanded. Ah! When he wants to be. Well, you're, when when you, you would have been okay if you hadn't <laughs> added that last part of when he brought, wants to be. You guys are making me do the wild. I don't understand why. <laughs> it's Christmas time. I'm supposed to be happy. Now my blood pressure's high. They play Pittsburgh at 6 o'clock. Oh, I go need, get them, boys! I need well, one. There's not like you haven't uh, you haven't seen anything from any of the young guys. I need one. The Greenway. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jo- uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Jordan Greenway jo- Jordan, is tall. Jordan Jordan <laughs> Green Jordan Greenway brings a style of play and presence as a young player, which will serve this team well for years to come. Because he's not like Charlie Coyle, who I hasn't done it. Coyle, come on, Coyle never did it. <laughs> 
I was I was gonna finish it for you if you didn't. Unless he turns into Charlie Coyle. I like how we all we all know the last little bit that Judd is yeah. leaving out. Am I that predictable? I mean, my wife always says I, I am, but I thought she was just, just being mean. It's just I just love you the fact that yourself. you can't help yourself. It's like you're on a roll with one. Oh, hold on, and then like you punctuate it with something that's completely backhanded. It's fantastic. Yeah, Judd's. I got one last one. one to go. Judd positivity challenge. Eric Fair. Fourth line center slash sometimes wing signed during the uh, during the summer as a free agent has turned into a very good fourth line player or is a very good not has turned into it, is a very good fourth line player for the Wild. All right, we'll give you that. You That's go. digging there really deep because he's not like Charlie Coyle. This has been your toughest <laughs> challenge yet, Judd. And I'm well, very yeah, proud of you. you set me up for this. The Twins <laughs> one was easy. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Gentlemen, to the medicine cabinet. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yeah. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. 394 Westbound. Uh, we still have that crash in Golden Valley between Louisiana Avenue and Highway 169. Uh, it's causing about a four-minute delay there. Uh, 35E northbound. We've got a crash between Pennsylvania Avenue and Maryland in St. Paul. That's causing a nine-minute delay. And uh, northbound W near uh, Richfield between 66 and uh, Highway 121. we got a 13-minute delay there. That's because of a crash in that area. Gives it away to Drummond. Shot clock down to three. Drummond takes a three. Are you here? kidding me? Andre Drummond connects from downtown. Pistons met him at the rack. Forced to miss. Reggie Jackson the other way. Scoops and scores off the high glass. The Pistons lead by three. You know, somebody had to lose it. It's a shame from the Timberwolves' perspective. But you got to give the Pistons credit. They grabbed this thing by the neck and won it. You have to bring toughness. You know, you have to bring a defense. And you have to play, you know, a 48-minute game. And that's where we have to grow. You know, there was loose balls down the stretch. There was no reaction to them. You know, I, I, if you want to win, you got, you got to get to those. You have to have a toughness. Okay, show a lot okay, of toughness down the stretch. <laughs> toughness. So much toughness. Grim. Desire. Uh, actually, I, I, I feel like he should replace the word toughness with math. Because last night... <laughs> yes. Yeah. Last night was a math equation. And, and the season really has been uh, a math equation. Um, last night, so the Pistons are not that great of a shooting team. The Pistons have, I think they're second to last in three, three point, point shooting. Yeah. In fact, I've got the three because I'm going to make a grander point here. But uh, the Pistons on the season are 28th in the NBA in three point make percentage. And uh, last night they wound up was it 20? Mm-hmm. They knocked down 23 pointers last night out of 48. Which kind of flirted with the NBA record that the Rockets reset with 26 or 27 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But here's what I mean by math. The Timberwolves this season are ninth in the NBA in three-point make percentage. They're hitting as a team on 36% of their three-point attempts, mm-hmm. which is a great number. Yep. Uh, so it's, it's just below teams like the... When you think of the Blazers, you think a team that just bombs from three with that backcourt, Lillard and McCollum, right? Mm-hmm. And the Timberwolves and the Blazers are basically neck and neck in three-point percentage. The Timberwolves are just a tick below the Celtics in three-point percentage. They're not quite the Warriors, or the Spurs have been guns ablazing this year, but they're ninth in the NBA in three-point percentage. So you'd think, oh, right? You should take some threes, right? They're taking threes. Take some threes. Yeah. 
No, they're twenty fourth in three point attempts. Yes, it's 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 so, systematic. So explain the math here and explain to me why why we're having a not exact but similar conversation to the pre Butler conversations that we had no fewer than six no. times last year. Well, I think I think Tom Thibodeau deserves a little bit of credit in that it's not as big of a problem as it was in the previous couple of years where they didn't have enough three-point shooters and also they just weren't taking threes. So they were they were losing the math equation problem and they just when they tried to play it, they didn't have the guys, they didn't have the gunners. Well, now, Shards can hit threes, Covington can hit threes. And what I like about those guys is they don't even think. Covington sees an opening and boom, this is a good shot. Mm-hmm. I'm open for three. If I'm open for three, it's always a good shot because I, I shoot a high percentage. Uh, but even with Tibbs kind of coming a little bit further on down the line, he's gotten some better three-point shooters on the team. He got rid of Belly, but they've I think they've added enough three-point shooters to the team, and Carl Anthony Towns shoots threes. But even Tom Thibodeau coming a little bit further down the path, it's still like, dude, right? the Pistons outgunned you last night. And the Pistons aren't going to have a night like that probably the rest of the season. But when they're shooting 48 threes, and that's one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the NBA— and you're only shooting 33 threes when they're shooting 15 more threes than you over the course of five quarters. Yep. That's a problem. And that's where you got to look at the defensive end, too, because the problem is not only that they're not shooting enough threes and not making enough threes. The problem is they're not defending the three-point shot very well either. And last night they were awful at it. Yep. Even, even even if you take out the Andre Drummond one that was just kind of a heave at the end of the shot clock that went in. All the, the the Reggie Jackson one that they left him open to corner. Somebody's got to close out there. Now you could make a case that the Wolves actually shot more threes last night than they do in an average game, and they just they only made nine of thirty three. So you could mm-hmm. make a case that okay, well they just had a bad shooting night, and I would listen to that case. But the opposing team shot fifteen more than you, and in general, how good you've been at making threes isn't matching how many you're taking on the court. If they were just to take. A few extra threes per game, five extra. They might have a couple extra wins because they're just taking more efficient, better shots. Yes. And public enemy number one for this is Andrew Wiggins. He's gotten a little bit better, but he still takes so many dumb pull up jumpers. Derek Rose still takes a lot of, he's been great from three, but he still takes a lot of really weird, long 20 foot jumpers. Last night, he took two or three shots down the stretch where it's like, oh, this is a back and forth game. And you're pulling up with a hand in your face from three. You don't have to do that. And then he gets mad at himself and, you know, starts freaking out. It's frustrating to watch. Yes. Well, and the problem, too, last night is Detroit started that game 2 for 11 on threes. So you're in great shape right there. Yeah. They hit 9 in the fourth quarter. 9 of 13. 9 of 13 from 3. Yeah. 13, some of that's luck. Like 13 know. of 22 in in the second half. But the point being still is I'm I'm with you on the math equation problem. And this is the NBA in 2019 now. Like you can't lose, you can't consistently lose that equation, mm-hmm. or you're going to consistently lose games. Yes, and so so, but there's no, there's no, there's nothing that you can do to get around that. Well, other than you have to shoot more threes. The Houston Rockets are a really interesting example, and I get that like they started zero and five or something, so you know they're just now getting back above 500 and they're just now emerging back into the playoff if the playoff starts they would be in but as of a week ago they probably wouldn't have been um so let's see where they are at the end of the year but in terms of percentage of three points of uh three pointers made the rockets actually rank 20th so they're not the, the rockets are like a below average three point shooting team in terms of their success rate and they were last year too 
They, I don't know they if were, they were twentieth, but they were percentage, percentage wise, they were like the middle of the pack, middle yeah. of the league, like fifteenth or something like that. Yeah. And guess who doesn't care? Mike the Houston right. Rockets. So right. what? So what they? So what they do is they they take more threes per game. So they're taking forty two threes per game on average, which is two more than the Milwaukee Bucks, and it's actually twenty more threes than the San Antonio Spurs take. And it's weird because the Spurs hit at the highest clip, but take the fewest. So it's, and, and that's a and that's Greg Popovich. He's a smart coach. What I would say is well, maybe you should take more threes. You know? Well, that's part of that's just because they got Lamarcus Aldrich and Demar Derozan who are like mid range kings. Yeah. But what the what the Rockets do is they say mathematically we don't have to be the best three point shooting team, but if we're like an average three point shooting team and taking the most threes, we're going to beat you. Yeah. Game and, four here, and I don't know if if Tibbs just doesn't like realize some of this or in, in game four of that first round series here. If you recall in the first half, the Houston Rockets could not hit a three to save their lives. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they were absolutely awful. And I I said and at some point quarter came around. And I said at one point, why don't you just start to take a few twos to make some shots? They did not give a damn. No. And the third know. quarter they came out and annihilated the Wolves. Yeah, because they know that at the end of the night, if they take forty two three pointers and hit on thirty five percent of them, which is what their average is, mm-hmm. that they're gonna beat you. Mm-hmm. Unless their defense is you know, the other way you get the doors blown off. So, I don't know. Tom, Tom Thibodeau, after the game, had uh, other things to say about threes. You have to react to what's going on in the game. They made 23s. So, Blake was wide open on one in the corner. No hand up. The next play, we do the same thing. I mean, can't win like that. So, the Wolves have had a few games like this. It happened with the Kings on the road where mm-hmm. the Kings go bonkers and the Rockets go bonkers or the last night the Pistons go bonkers. Has there been a game where the opposing coach, the Timberwolves went bonkers and the opposing coach is like, I, I don't know what we're supposed to do. They hit 23 three-pointers. Coaches don't now. Except no, but, for but, well, they don't because the Wolves don't take enough threes. The Wolves, If the Wolves were to go out and say, you know what? Every night we're going to take 43 pointers. Sharich. Towns, Wiggins from the two spots that you hit him from, Roko, <laughs> a Kogi probably needs to pump the brakes a little bit. But if they made it their mission, I guarantee you'd have this exact same quote from other coaches in the NBA after they play the Timberwolves. You have to react to what's going on in the game. They made 23s. But you don't hear that from other coaches because the Wolves don't take enough threes. And what's interesting, too, is you've got Dave Yeager in Sacramento, who I wanted to be the Wolves coach two years ago, but that's neither here nor there. He came from Memphis, the whole grit and grind, you know, physical, slow the game down. We're going to beat you up physically inside with Mark Gasol and Zebo and those guys. He came from that, and he got to Sacramento, and he said, no, look, I've got De'Aaron Fox. Let me empower this guy to play fast and to dish it out to shooters. I've got Nemanja Bialica coming in. He's a good three-point shooter. Let me empower him to shoot more threes. And I got this Bogdanovich kid who's good at it. And Buddy Heald is a great shooter. Let me run sets and plays to get Buddy Heald great looks because he's a great three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. He's adjusted. But Tibbs, <laughs> Tibbs is never going to be accused of doing that. <laughs> Tibbs, You know what Tibbs is? Tibbs is is the exact same philosophy as the guys that we've talked about all week long. Offensive coordinators who won't change. He's convinced the system works. 
Like you could go to him and he's, you could show him. He's tweaked it though. He's yeah. it's it's different this year. They are doing more to try look, and get three point. But looks. he doesn't stick with it long enough. It, it's like they kind of fall back into in the because, last couple of weeks. They've fallen you know back into the same old he, stuff from last year. He doesn't have the patience when things go wrong to stick with what what started to work, and so he almost panics and defaults back to what he knows. Yeah, and he'll always be like that, and it's why it's not going to work. So as much as Roy C. Hope would like it to work, it ain't going to work here. He does want it to work so bad, doesn't he? Yeah, because Tibbs trolls spirits. Tibbs trolls life basically. It doesn't matter. That was depressed Tibbs last night, by the way. What was it? I said that was depressed Tibbs. Oh, okay. All those sound bites are depressed Tibbs are down Tibbs. Well, the way we started the fourth, you know, foolish plays, um, you know, fouling when we, you know, there's no reason to foul, not playing with verticality. Love that word. Yep. And giving guys dare shots, you know, forty point quarter. Yeah. Verticality. Verticality. Well, there's a guy that went went to Manny's last night and crushed like three steaks. Wouldn't that be awesome if you could afford to go to Manny's and order three steaks? Just drowned his sorrows awesome. in steaks. Uh, the blood of meat from Manny's. The fo- speaking of the blood of meat from Manny's, the football hour is coming up next mm. with Matthew Collar, and we will wrap with Roycey. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 